special Father's Day for me uh, because uh, my son, Nathan, and his family, uh, Tina, and uh, their, four of their five children are uh, with us uh, today. They're from Vidalia, Georgia, and uh, they've been with us for a little over a week now. And last week we went to San Diego and we took the four children to, children, we took the four kids to uh, Legoland, okay, which was uh, awesome. You know, uh, to see me uh, fold myself into rides that were designed for seven-year-old girls was really a lot of fun. And, uh, but there was great stuff to do. We had a great time. It was wonderful. And uh, so it's an honor to have them with us today. They're going back, uh, most of the, four of them are going back Tuesday, and then two of the teenagers are staying with us for another couple of weeks. So it's a great uh, Father's Day for me. So um, I've asked my son, Nathan, and uh, his oldest son, Jaden, if they will, to join me up here on the stage. And I want to get you to get to know them a little bit. Um, uh, this is really uh, uh, a, a great joy for me. Uh, in, in, in the book of Exodus, where God laid out, one of the places where he laid out the Ten Commandments, um, uh, one of the verses 4 and 5, it talks about, uh, you've heard this verse before, the sins of the fathers and the grandfathers are visited upon their children, right? How many of you heard that verse before? Okay, so that's a fairly common verse. What you don't read or hear that often is what follows those verses. It says, but for a thousand generations, God will, uh, for a thousand generations, those who love and serve the Lord will prosper. So I want you to see visually and hear from us that at least this represents three generations of the Cross family uh, that uh, love and serve the Lord. Um, My grandfather, uh, Grandpa Cross, Walter Cross, was a deacon in the Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church in the South. Uh, my father, Tom Cross, who died uh, way back in 1983 when I was just 35 years old, was a churchman, a strong leader in the church. And so we have this heritage of godly men, far from perfect, flawed in every way, but godly men who chose to love and serve the Lord. And so I wanted you to hear from my son and my grandson today. So uh, I'm going to ask them a couple of questions, and they'll give you responses. Uh, Jaden was rather uh, short uh, answers in the first service. Maybe he'll loosen up a little bit in the service. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm very proud of these two young men. So let's start by having uh, Jaden introduce himself to you. Jaden, tell us about you. Hi. Well, that's a lot louder than first service. Um, I'm Jaden. I'm 16, and... I was born in Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm, woo. <laughs> um, I'm going into my junior year of high school, and I love soccer. And uh, Jane, what kind of a student are you? It's okay to brag. A great one. <laughs> <laughs> all four of their kids, their oldest daughter, Deidre, is married and has a baby, but all four of their kids still in school, straight-A students. Okay, just bragging, just saying. Nathan, uh, tell us about yourself. I was not a straight-A student. So. <laughs> he had the potential. He was way too involved in other things. Yeah. Um, I'm Nate, I'm, uh, I'm 37. Um, married to my wife, Tina, for going on 11 years. Uh, we live in Vidalia, Georgia. We've been there since I got out of the military in 2005. Um, and we have five kids and a grandbaby and one on the way. So. Yep. Yeah, so that makes him a grandfather. I don't even want to think of what that makes me. Uh, but... Uh, but uh, so they couldn't be out here because uh, Deidre is pregnant with her second. But uh, 
Uh, Nathan wouldn't tell you, again, because he doesn't talk about himself that much, but he was an outstanding high school athlete and played some college ball, and uh, that was part of his life growing up. I coached him when he was a kid and all that, so that was a big part of the life too. So, Jaden, back to you. Um, What were one of the challenges growing up, even though you grew up in a Christian home, uh, what was the challenge? What was something that was difficult for you as you were growing up? Um, Well, my parents have been divorced ever since I was really little, and um, just growing up, like all 16 years, or that I remember, I've just been, it's just been separate, and like there's some of my time with my dad, some of the time with my mom, and it's not really together, but it's been kind of hard, but I've learned to live with it. Okay, good, good. And Nathan, how about you? Growing up, what was a challenge you had to Um, face? Growing up for me, the hardest thing was when I was 13, my brother died, um, and he was 10 at the time, so that was very difficult. I learned to, instead of talk about what was bothering me, I internalized it, and as I got older, led to some uh, very poor choices uh, in my life, so um, that was definitely the most difficult thing I went through. Yeah. You'd never know that uh, Nathan grew up in San Diego and Minnesota with his accent, would you? Yeah, so. Uh, like Nathan said, one of the difficult things that, most difficult thing of my life, too, was losing our son, Tyler, and um, we were, after um, uh, he was killed, this was in October of 1989, Nathan was 13, Tammy was 16, we went to a family counselor, and about nine months into our counseling, the counselor asked me, in your denomination, how do you change churches? And I explained how that happened in our denomination, and the counselor said to me, he said, I would recommend that you change churches, you move somewhere else. He said, because you're losing your other son, uh, talking about Nathan. Just emotionally, he was disengaged. He went from being a really good student to being a poor student. Everything was falling apart. So it was a very traumatic time in our family. And we tried to hold on to Jesus, but many times we would hold on to the wrong things. Nathan internalized. I got involved in addictive gambling. We were all kind of a mess. But through all of that, um, there was something that sustained us all. And we all would agree and say as one loud voice that the only thing that got us through that was Jesus Christ. So, um, Jaden, tell us a little bit about your faith and how your faith sustained you through difficult times. Well, um, really, since living in separate families, um, it's really helped me to, it's brought new people into my life, which, um, and it has helped me to learn that that's a good thing yeah. and um, that they're a part of my family now and that they're a part of God's family. Right. And um, tell everybody, when you gave your heart to Jesus, how old were you? Um, what was I? I was five. I was five, okay. <laughs> um, driving, we lived in San Antonio at the time, driving back from church one day in the backseat of the car. That's how it happened. That became holy ground in the backseat of the car. Right. Okay, Nathan, how about you, son? Um, my faith has really sustained me through... Um, when I got divorced from his mother, uh, it was a very difficult time. Um, and then to see, um, not a, really knowing what to do or where to go, and then to see um, uh, God's grace revealed in my life through meeting my new wife, Tina, and uh, what a blessing that's been uh, to me. Um, and not just that, you know, through numerous things, but just knowing that God's grace is, is so sufficient in uh, the mistakes I've made and through the good times. You know, good day or bad day, we talk about that frequently in our home. Um, is that God still loves us, no matter how down we are, how high we think we are. So That's great. Mm-hmm. And Nathan, describe how you and Tina keep Christ alive in your family. Um, by admitting that we're not perfect to our kids, and we, you know, 
um, it's important for us to, we still try and sit down as, as many nights as possible and eat dinner and do something simple as a devotion and just open up discussion with our kids and just find out what's going on in their lives and realizing that, you know, the Bible is very practical and it's something that can be used today, um, you know, to, to teach our kids and most importantly, teach them to love Jesus and um, um, to realize that there's grace, there's forgiveness, and there's love um, in our home. Amen. And uh, describe how uh, you guys came to find the church that you're in now. Um, so we're, you know, living in the deep south has is, is really been quite a challenge personally for me. Um, uh, it's very down there, the church culture is, um, uh, it's just very, very different. Um, a lot of legalism, a lot of, every time we'd go to and try different churches, I'd always come away feeling beat up and broken down, especially because, you know, I was newly divorced at the time and just feeling like I was never going to be good enough. Um, and then we found this church that was started at a college uh, by some guys who kind of had the same vision of, you know, uh, God's not all about rules and regulations. He's about freedom and love and yeah. grace and mercy. So yeah. uh, we're now part of uh, Journey Community Church, and we've been there since uh, about four years, basically, since it started. So. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And um, uh, Nathan's wife, Tina, they've been married for 11 years. Uh, when they were married, she had a nine-year-old daughter. So they had, what, nine? How old was Jaden? Five, three, three and, and two. I mean, so just imagine Tina became a mother of four kids, three small kids, and she's done, a, I told her just the other day what an amazing job they've done raising these children. Um, we have a, a ritual when we have the grandkids that we sit around a table in the evening with candles lit, we call it the examine, and we have the kids share about their, uh, their life, their day, what was good, what was bad. We talk about how Christ has impacted their lives, and I told Nathan and Tina what an amazing job they've done in raising their children. Every one of those kids know how to pray. Every one of those kids know the Bible. Every one of those kids know that Jesus is the answer and what a joy that is. And the verse that I hold on to all of my life is, and you find it in two places in the Bible, in, third, in, in Second John and Third John, and both it says this, no greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children follow the truth. Now, I know that that verse was written about the family of God. And so I've said that to you many times as your pastor. No greater joy can a man have than this than to hear that you follow the truth, that you're following Jesus, that you're taking steps towards him, that you're growing in your faith. That gives me great joy. But that verse also relates to our biological family. And I can't tell you what a joy it is for me to have my son and my grandson here on the stage. And what no greater joy can Dwayne have than this than to hear that his children and his grandchildren are following the truth. So uh, thank them for being up here and sharing. God bless you guys. Thank you. And would you uh, just bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Father, what a joy it is for me to uh, have my son and one of my grandchildren um, be here on the stage and talk about how that Jesus Christ and him alone has sustained them through difficult times in life. And Father, that's a, that's a message for all of us to hear that um, you are the God of second chances, that you are the God of a do-over, that you grace us when we don't deserve us, that you show mercy to us when we don't deserve it, when you forgive us when we don't deserve it. And we thank you, Father, for the grace that is abundant all around us in our lives and in our families. And Father, I would just pray right now for those in our congregation that are sad on Father's Day. Father, may you nurture them, may you fill them with your joy, with your hope, and would you help them to know that there is a Father who cares for them, their Heavenly Father, 
that is a perfect Father that will never harm them, never hurt them, and never disappoint them. And Father, may those who have struggled in this way, may you bless them because of your great grace to them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just wanted to say uh, just a word uh, as we begin this morning um, that I recognize that many of you are not happy on Father's Day. Uh, Maybe your kids are far from God and that makes you sad. Maybe your father recently has died or is near death. And for some of you, and this is the hardest part to even talk about, for some of you, you've been hurt by your fathers. You've been disappointed. Some of you have been hurt gravely by your fathers. And may I say on behalf of all fatherhood and on behalf of God, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that someone that was supposed to love you and encourage you and nurture you hurt you. But here's the good news. There is a heavenly father who loves you. There is one who will never disappoint you or let you down. There is one who will always give you his best. And that's God, our Father in heaven. So as we begin, I know it's hard. I had several people tell me uh, this last week that, you know, Pastor, uh, we're, we're not going to be in church on Sunday because Father's Day is a really hard day. And I understand that. And, and I bless people that feel that way. Um, but, but here's the good news. Um, uh, it's not just about our earthly father. It's about our heavenly father as well. And I want to talk about that today in the message. Um, we're in between series. We just finished 40 days of, of um, finding hope. And that was a great series for all of us. And we're going into a summer series next Sunday on, on uh, this amazing word that God gave to us through Jesus, through John uh, on the island of Patmos that told us about what Jesus Christ thinks of the church. And so you're going to be hearing for these next eight weeks what Jesus Christ thinks of Hope Covenant Church and the good things that we've done and the things that we need to do better. And uh, the word that he spoke to John uh, 1914 years ago, he speaks to us today. So we'll be looking at that starting next Lord's Day. So today we're going to talk about Father's Day. And um, I, I, I will say it's wonderful being a dad. I've said many, many times it's much easier and much more fun being a grandfather. Uh, you know, we took the kids to Legoland. If they said, Grandpa, can I have? And before they could even say what it was, I said, yes. You know, when my kids were at, you can ask Nathan. When they said, uh, when they said can I ask a question? I say, sure. The answer is no. What's the question? So that's harder being a parent than being a grandparent. So I love being a grandparent. But, um, but it's hard being a dad sometimes. For instance, there was this dad who had to pinch hit for mom when little Junior needed to go to the pediatrician. Johnny was eight years old, and dad was, well, kind of out of his element at the doctor's office. Routine checkup became very interesting. The nurse asked a few background questions, and the father was clueless. The first question she asked was this. She said, um, how was your son sleeping? And the father looked away from the nurse and looked to his son, and the son said, I sleep very well. Um, How is his appetite? He looks over to his son. He says, I eat everything Um, on any medication. Um, Nope, mom says, I'm as healthy as a horse. The next question really threw him. He said, how are his bowels? The father looked terrified and looked at the son, and the son said, dad, don't worry about it. They're fine. A-E-I-O-U, sometimes Y and W. You know, it's tough being a father if you have never been one. Or how about the little boy who 
was reprimanded by his mother. He ran upstairs and crawled under bed to get away from his mom to hide. Dad comes home, hears what happened, comes up, crawls under bed, try to be with his son. And his son said, hi, Dad, is she after you too? And uh, sometimes we have to get away. Um, Bill Cosby, that great theologian, said it this way, insanity is an inherited disease. You get it from your kids. So we all know that's true. But besides insanity, there's some other things that we get from our kids, including love and meaning, and purpose, and joy, and opportunities. Let me rephrase that. Many opportunities to give sacrificially. Being a parent is a challenging yet wonderful responsibility. This morning, I would like to let the Word of God speak to us, especially to parents and specifically to fathers. And I'd like you to listen to this beautiful verse that's tucked away. It's actually the very last verse in the book of, in the Old Testament. Very last verse in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. Now, the nation of Israel has run amok. They've done everything wrong. And at this point, uh, Elijah is preaching and Malachi is, is telling the people that are listening, listen, Elijah is preaching and you need to hear what he's saying. And this is what Elijah said to the people of Israel. He said, he, God, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Isn't that a beautiful verse? So God promised through the prophet Elijah that God would turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children and turn the hearts of their children towards their fathers. That's what I'd like to talk about today. We live in an age where many fathers, by reason of divorce or distance or disinterest, do not have a heart connection to their children. Oh, we do a lot of other things with our kids. We show them how to play ball and we take them for walks and teach them how to fish and those kind of things. But how many of us as fathers, as grandfathers, have a heart connection to our children? Now, again, this message is never, we never intend to beat anyone up. If some of you are feeling guilty, if some of you are feeling, oh man, my father didn't do it right or I didn't do it right, we don't want you to stay there because you can't change the past but you can change your behavior in the future. You can change the way you live now. So we want to encourage you. We want to build you up and share with you some principles from God's Word. And kind of, I'd like to paint a portrait of a father's heart. And do that with five separate scriptures. And so I'm calling this the five spiritual laws for dads, okay? But this, this applies to parents it replies to really any relationship. This is transferable to every believer who wants to have a heart connection to another believer and especially to God. So here we go. Law number one, a father's heart prays for his children. A father's heart prays for his children. In the book of Judges, there was a man by the name of Manoah. And uh, his wife was unable to bear children but an angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife, and this is what he said to her. He said, you are sterile and childless. And I'm sure at that point, Manoah's wife said, uh, duh, you know, I kind of already knew that. Uh, he said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and bear a son. Judges 13, 3. She ran and told Manoah, of course, her exciting news. 
And then this was Manoah's prayer. This is an awesome prayer. Listen to what he prayed. After he found out that God was going to grant their prayer of giving them a son, this is what Manoah prayed. He said, O Lord, I beg you, let the angel of the Lord you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Father, we're thankful that you're going to give us a son. We're grateful you're going to give us a child. But Lord, we need your help. Teach us how to bring up this boy who is to be born. A father's heart is a heart of prayer. And then in Judges 13, 24, we hear what happened. The woman who gave birth to the boy and named him what? Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. Perhaps the greatest gift you can give to your children the greatest gift you can give to your grandchildren is to pray for them, to pray for them. There, were, um, there was a period of time when uh, our son Nathan was uh, far away from God. It started about his junior or senior year in high school, lasted uh, through uh, a couple of years of college. But during that time, uh, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, you're kind of puffed up a little bit. You don't want to hear from mom and dad anymore because you've figured out life, right? When you're 19, you've figured out everything you need to know about life. And, uh, and kind of Nathan was in that place. And I recall I was in that place when I was his age. But we all kind of go there. And at that time, he didn't really want to hear any parenting stuff from Sherry and I. He didn't want to hear anything about God and that kind of stuff. But one thing we did faithfully is pray for our children. Even when they were, especially when they were far away from God, we prayed fervently and we prayed passionately for our children. Uh, Sherry has this uh, wonderful um, prayer trigger. Uh, when uh, Nathan was um, uh, just out of college, he drove uh, a truck for Budweiser for three years, and then he drove a truck when he lived here in Phoenix for a couple of years, he drove for Coca-Cola, so he drove these big semis. And um, so Sherry began a prayer trigger. Every time she sees a Budweiser truck or a Coca-Cola truck, she prays for Nathan. So how many times a day do you think she prays for Nathan? You know, if you're ever out driving around, you can't go 50 feet without seeing a Budweiser truck or a Coca-Cola truck. But there's that prayer trigger that, that and, and she always said, Nathan, I prayed for you today. And Nathan, yeah, of course you did because you got in the car, right? So, but there's something about praying for your children. And asking God, those things that I taught our children they were, when they were small, when they gave their hearts to Jesus, when they were small and so innocent and so filled with faith, and now they seem so far away. Father, I pray that our child will never forget who, belongs, who he belongs to and who belongs to him. I, I prayed with somebody yesterday uh, in my office, and I, prayed, I said, Lord, your mark is on this child. Your mark is on this teenager. There's a time when this boy gave his heart to Jesus and your mark is on him and do not let him forget that the mark of Jesus is on his life. We need to pray for our children. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. It means it counts for a lot. <laughs> your prayers for your kids, they count for a lot. It may seem empty, it may seem like your prayers hit the ceiling, but the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, a righteous mother or father, a righteous a grandmother or grandfather avails much. It really matters. It really counts. 
We need to pray for our children. The Bible says in Luke 11 that a man wanted something and so he knocked on the door and the man was in bed with his children and his wife and they were sound asleep so he didn't answer the door. But because of his importunity, he kept knocking on the door and finally the man got up and came over and he answered the door and he gave him something to eat. Do you know what that story is a a story about? It's about prayer. Don't give up praying. Now, God is not asleep. But sometimes God wants to see how fervently, how passionately we believe in what we're praying for. And don't stop knocking on the doors for your kids. Some of you are feeling bad even right at this moment because your kids are far away from God. Trust in the faith that those children had when they were small. Trust in the love that you put into their lives. Trust that God will never leave them nor forsake them. Trust that God is the hound of every man and he will never let your kids go until they return to their faith. You trust in that. You hold on to that. We need to pray for our children. Secondly, a father's heart, this is the second law, a father's heart instructs his children. A father's heart instructs his children. Um, when Nathan was a senior in high school, because we could see him kind of moving away from God, you know how kids are when they're that age, 17, 18 years old, we could see him. I bribed him every Saturday morning with biscuits and gravy at Hardee's in uh, Shoreview, Minnesota, uh, and, and so, uh, so that we could have a Bible study together. He wasn't interested in the Bible, but he was very interested in biscuits and gravy. So, so we would meet every Saturday morning. We'd go down there, and uh, we'd go in there, and we'd have our biscuits and gravy, and we would talk about the Proverbs. My goal was, to, in senior year of high school, that we would go through the book of Proverbs. And um, one of the Proverbs, chapter 4, is one of the greatest. And so chapter 4 of Proverbs, and I'm reading, reading from the message, so it's, a, it's a, a paraphrase, not a translation, but it's really good. Listen to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 4 from the message. Here's what it says. Listen, friends, to some fatherly advice. Sit up and take notice so you'll know how to live. I'm giving you good counsel. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. How many times have we said that to our kids, right? When I was a boy at my father's knee, the pride and joy of my mother, he would sit me down and drill me. Take this to heart, son. Do what I tell you. Live. Isn't that wonderful? How many times as we as fathers sit down and talk to our children and say, now this is, this is the best I have for you. This is my wisdom. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my faith. Let me tell you about this, this trajectory that your life is on and what that might look like five, five, five years from now. We, we need to talk to our children. And as it says there, take this to heart. Do what I tell you. Live. We want our kids to live, don't we? Now, that word instruct in the um, Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament, The word instruct means three different things in our vernacular. Okay, instruct in the Hebrew means teaching, discipline, and modeling. Isn't that great? When you know what instruct means, it means to teach our kids, to disciple our kids, and to model, be a model for our children. In a recent study in Scientific American, uh, a researcher by the name of Dr. Bron Bron Fenbrunner reported that the average middle-class father has direct interaction with his children 2.7 times a day, lasting a period of 10 to 15 seconds each. He concludes, based on that, these words. That seems to represent the contribution of fatherhood for millions of America's children, 27 to 40 seconds a day. There's something wrong with that. 
We need to give our children instruction and modeling and discipling, and we can't do that if we're not with them. So let me spell out how to instruct your children. I'll tell you how to spell instruct your children. Okay, here's how you spell it. T-I-M-E. Okay, that's how you spell it. You need time with your kids. Now, I used to use this excuse, and some of you probably use this excuse too. Well, I don't have a lot of time with my children, but I have quality time with my children. There's a Hebrew word for that, and that Hebrew word is baloney. Okay, actually, it's not a Hebrew word, it's an American word, but baloney. No, you need time with your children. You need to teach them, and you've heard me say this a million times, teach them how to play soccer, teach them how to brush their teeth, teach them how to do their ABCs, teach them how to do math, teach them how to throw a football, teach them how to play the violin, teach them all these things, but the thing that you teach them the most that will last with them for not only their life, but for all eternity, you teach them about Jesus. You teach them about Jesus. Well, but I taught them all these other things. Good for you. In 80 years, all those things will be under the ground. Teach them about Jesus that will last for eternity. I've got to slow down, honey. I'm starting to preach, okay? I've got to, I've got to be calm, right? Okay, I have, I have to be calm. Teach them. Number two, discipline them. Now, the root word for discipline is disciple, okay? We think of discipline as, oh, I'm going to beat my kid, you know, half to death. No, no, no. The root word for discipline is disciple. In other words, Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ, Follow me as I follow Christ. We all of us are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We are called to make disciples. And in the way that we make our families, the way that we have families, children, and all of that, we are to make disciples. Um, uh, I forget what the author was, but one author said that her most important job in life was to disciple her children. Isn't that beautiful? It was uh, Ann Ortland. That was it, Ann Ortland. The most important job she has is to disciple her her children. We must disciple them. So teach them, disciple them, and model, model for them. Son, daughter, watch me as I follow Jesus. Watch the way I show integrity. Watch the way when I get too much change at the, at the store, we'll go back to McDonald's and we'll give them the money back. Watch the way I live my life. Now there's something that's called, and this is based on Deuteronomy 6 through 8, it's called the law of echoes. Maybe you, some of you have heard that around parenting. The law of echoes basically says this, it's a basic, basic truth of parenting that character is caught more than taught. That character is lived more than lectured. That it is seen more than spoken. Now this works both positively and negatively, right? We all, there's things that my dad used to do that used to drive me crazy and I find myself doing them now. There are things that drives Nathan's wife, Tina Nuts, and she looks at me and she says, you taught him that, didn't you? And he's absolutely right. And, but there's things about us, but what we want to, the lasting impression we want to leave with our kids is the love that we have for God and the love that we have for Jesus and the faith and the trust that we have in him and our love for God's word. That's the law of echoes. The truth of parenting that character is caught more than taught, lived more than lectured, seen more than spoken. Model godly character. There was a little girl who fathered her, her, excuse me, who followed her father as he walked through newly planted clumps of St. Augustine grass. She stepped exactly where he stepped. And she said, Daddy, if you don't get mud on you, then I won't get mud on me. <laughs> There's a parenting truth there for all of us. Model godly character. So parents, 
Teach your kids, they catch your character. A father... A father's heart instructs his children. The third thing is this. A father's heart is connected to his children. A father's heart is connected to his children. Again, we do a lot of things to teach our kids and show them how to assemble things and how to do this. And that's all good. Nothing wrong with that. But how is your heart connected to your children? On a very emotional, spiritual level, is your heart connected to him? So there's this uh, story in 1 Kings And you know it's towards the end of David's life. David has been an amazing king, very flawed in his humanness, but an amazing king. And as David's coming to the end of his life, he had promised Solomon that he would be the next king. But he had another son, Adonijah, and Adonijah decided that he wanted to be the king. So before his dad was even dead, he pronounced himself king. He said, I'm going to be king. Everybody should listen to me, follow my rules. like that. And it's just a big mess. So you have this son that's very wicked. And we find out that Adonijah is very wicked, very evil all of his life in comparison with Solomon. And uh, Adonijah, and you say, how did that kid get that way? Well, there's a clue to how he got that way in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. And this is what the writer of 1 Kings wrote. This is very hard to hear, but please listen to this. His father, referring to David, his father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? David never once asked Adonijah, why do you behave the way you do? What's going on, son? Why are you acting like this? Let me instruct you on how you should live. Let me model for you how you should live. David just basically was so busy being king that Adonijah just grew up and did whatever he wanted and That's a very powerful verse. His father, David, had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? Do you interfere with your children? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Yeah, Dad, you went through my stuff in my bedroom. You bet I did. (laughs) Yeah, but what about privacy? Well, you know what? You kind of live in my house and you're sleeping in my bed. Uh, Your privacy is earned. It's, uh, if I can trust you then, but if not, you know, I'm going through everything, you know. And have you instructed your children? Are you involved in their lives? Do you know their hearts? Do they know your hearts? There was, uh, during the times when uh, Nathan was kind of doing his own thing, uh, I was determined as a father. It broke my heart what he was doing and how he was doing it, especially the fact that he was he never said he didn't believe in God, but he said that God is just not on my radar right now. And that it broke his mother and my heart, but we prayed for him. But, but I always wanted to have some shred of something I could talk to him about. He didn't want to talk about God, didn't want to talk about church or anything like that. But one thing we could always talk about is sports, okay? Uh, he played a lot of sports in high school. I did. We both loved sports. So I always wanted to have some kind of a thread that I could still talk. I wanted to stay connected to his heart. Even though he was trying to run away, I wanted to stay connected to his heart. Your kids are only young once. Connect with them. Be with them. Talk to them. Encourage them. Bless them. Correct them. Love them. In 1974, Sandy and Harry Chapin wrote a song. You'll recognize it. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read the lyrics. It's an amazing song. It was entitled, some of you know this, Cats in the Cradle. Hear the words to that song. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. 
He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. I'm, you know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me how to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the, the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the keys. You see you later. Can I have them, please? When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me, and the cat's in the cradle, and the silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll, have, we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. More than anything, after we pray for our children, we have to connect to their heart in an emotional and a spiritual way. A father's heart next is this. A father's heart shares his love for Jesus. I quoted this verse before from 2 John, and I'll say it again, that no greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children follow the truth. I'm so glad that um, my son went to college. I'm so glad that my daughter went to college. I'm so glad they got a good education. I'm really glad my son has a great job. He's a hospice nurse and uh, does amazing ministry with people at the end of their life. He goes all over the county uh, meeting people in their homes. I'm so glad that my children are raising their children and doing a good job, making sure that education is important, making sure they have good values and all of that. But here's what matters to me more than anything else. I want to know that my kids love Jesus. And I want to know that my grandkids love Jesus. You know what? If I had to choose between that and anything else, I would choose that every single time because one day, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years from now, we'll all be six feet under the earth if the Lord tarries. And when we will, nothing that we learn on this planet will matter except about Jesus. Nothing. You've heard me say this before. We need to teach our kids all kinds of things. But more than anything, the most important thing is to teach them and to show them and to model for them to eat and drink and breathe a personal, intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. I mentioned my father and my grandfather a little while ago. Uh, my dad, um, uh, interestingly, he, was, uh, he went into World War II in 1943, halfway through the war, as a 16-year-old. In those days, they were so desperate for 
in this case, in the Navy, he went in the Navy, they were so desperate for young men that if you were 16 or 17 with your parents' permission, you could go into World War II. Isn't that incredible? So my dad gets out of World War II when he's 19 years old in 1946, a veteran of World War II, 19 years old, doesn't have a high school education, marries my mom, they, they were going together even before he left, marries my mom uh, a, a few months after he got back, and to, to say, this tells you what kind of dad, the guy my dad was, he said, the twins, my twin sisters were born nine months and 20 minutes after they were married, and uh, he said, you know, and, and he said, and his life was off and running, right? right? So he had to go to school at night to get his high school diploma, he had to go to school at night to get his college degree, became an engineer, and had a very successful career. But all of that to say this, the thing that my dad did the most consistently was to teach me and my three sisters that God loves us and that he's always going to be there for us. And I had the privilege of uh, preaching at my dad's memorial service. Um, he, he and my mom were part of our church at Mount McGill in Spring Valley, California. And on Thursday, August the 18th, 1983, um, I spoke at my dad's memorial service, and I want to read you two paragraphs from, from that message. Um, my dad's name was Tom, Tommy. But the most important part of my father's life was his love for God. He taught me how to love Jesus as a boy. In the mornings as I would arise, I would find my dad sitting in his big lounge chair reading God's Word. I didn't understand it, but I too wanted to read the Bible. He would wake me up at 6.30 on Sunday mornings to go to men's prayer meeting. He would read and pray every night at our family devotions. He rejoiced with me when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior at age 16. Christ was his life. He knew that Jesus' words were true when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I have seen my father on his knees praying for you. And when I said that, I was talking to the audience gathered at my dad's memorial service. Many of his friends from where he worked at Convair Astronautics in, in San Diego. Many engineering friends that weren't Christians that he had witnessed to. And I said, I've seen my father on his knees praying for you, friends and relatives, that you might know and experience the love of Jesus Christ. There were those of you who whispered prayers for us as he was dying uh, excuse me, there were those of you he whispered prayers for as he was dying because nothing else in the world mattered more to him. The echo of my father's life would not be, remember my skill as an engineer or a professional, or remember I served in World War II, or remember how I was your friend and helped you in times of need, or remember my life as a husband and a father. No, he would say to you, if he were alive now, remember, Jesus loves you. That would be my father's plea. This past week, I remembered an experience that brought joy to my heart. When I was in college, the men in our church went on a prayer retreat to a cabin in the woods. On Saturday morning, our task was to walk out into the woods and be alone with God. It was a very special time. I was not far from my father, and when he started walking back, I joined him. He slipped his arm around my shoulder. Without a word passing between us, by the way, only guys understand that. Without a word passing between us, I knew my father's heart. He was a man who was walking with God. And I whispered a prayer at that very moment that I too would walk with God all the days of my life. And then I closed the sermon with this, these two questions. How about you? Do you walk with God? 
And then I gave an invitation to know Christ. That's what my dad's wish. After the service, I, I was able to lead three of his engineering guys that he worked with, three engineers, to Jesus Christ because of my father's testimony at his death. My dad was imperfect and flawed, just like me, just like Nathan, just like Jaden. But he loved me, and he loved Jesus. And that's the greatest legacy that he left for me. Finally, a father's heart is full of love and forgiveness. Let me just say a word here. Men and women, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, grandparents, great-grandparents, there's no gift you can give greater to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your parents than the gift of forgiveness. I know some of you have, uh, you, they, your parents have failed you. Some of you have failed your kids. But the gift of forgiveness is the gift that God wants us to share in our families. Most of you know the story of the prodigal son. I won't go through the whole story. But there was this boy, uh, he had an older brother, and he wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to go away, he was probably 18 or 19 years old, and live the way he wanted to live. He asked his father for his half of the inheritance, which in the Hebrew tradition was akin to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, because I want your money now. Surprisingly, the father gave the son his half of the inheritance. He went off, and the Bible says in the next 18 to 20 months, he spent that money in wine, women, and song. He just spent that money foolishly. He lost it all. He found himself less than two years after he left, the time he left, sitting in a pigsty and wondering, how did I get here? <laughs> what was the, my mom and dad loved me. They gave me everything I could possibly have. They gave me an education. They gave me, how on earth did I end up here? How did the trajectory of my life go like this and then go like that? And he said, what am I to do? And he thought, well, I can't go back to my dad. He'll, he'll kill me. I mean, I, I hurt him so badly. He'll never talk to me again. But maybe if I go back to my dad and ask for a job, he'll give me a job, maybe slopping pigs or taking care of the horses or something like that. I'll just go back and see if my dad will give me a job. And the Bible says that when the son was still far away, heading towards his house, the home where he grew up, when he was still far away, the father saw him. And this is what the verse says in Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the translation there is that the father couldn't stop kissing his son. This son that disappointed him so gravely, this son that got so far off the tracks, this son that said no to his mom and dad and no to God. This son, as he came back, his father couldn't stop kissing him. One of the greatest gifts we can give to our children, to our grandchildren, to our parents, is the gift of forgiveness. If they have hurt you, if you have hurt them, you need to make amends. You need to offer your apology. You need to give your apology. Say, I am so sorry I've hurt you. We need to give and receive forgiveness. All of this is about the Father's heart. It's not about the Father's hands. It's not about the Father's footsteps. It's about the Father's heart. How God wants you to know, be so, so in touch with Jesus and so in touch with Him as your Lord and Savior that you pass that on to your children, to your grandchildren for a hundred, for a thousand generations to those who love and serve the Lord. God has blessed them. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God
of miracles. That you are a God of redemption. And Father, there are many of us in church today who feel a sense of guilt, a sense of shame about some of these things that we've read from your word. But Lord, that's never a good goal. That's never a good destination. But to allow that to move us to a place of reconciliation with you and with our family. To allow that sense of, oh, I didn't do this so good, to a sense of rejoining our Heavenly Father and rejoining our family. Father, may you give us the courage to do that. And for those, Father, who are young parents or even parents to be someday, may they take this word to heart, that as they know their Heavenly Father's heart, they can share that heart with their children from generation after generation for a thousand generations to those who love and serve the Lord. And to this end, Father, we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much.